Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lampkin. I'm your host, James Lampkin, and my guest today is a business consultant, a wife, and a mother, Mrs. Cheryl Finner. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for the invite. Oh, listen, it's it's truly an honor. Like I told you before, um, my wife, you know, Letitia, she talks, she always talks about you in a glowing manner, and I said, man, if I ever get a chance to get on a podcast, I'm gonna make sure I get get her on here and look at look at what happened. You finally agreed. <laughs> hey, that's that, look. That's a high compliment, and I take it. <laughs> <laughs> How's you? How are you doing today? You know what, Jay? I am well. Been busy. You know, even in the pandemic, we're working every day, so I won't complain. But I've been busy, baby. Now you, I'm gonna start with that ironically because at one point you retired. And then you chose to go back to work after what? How many years did you take off? It, it was almost five years to the day. So what in the world made you go back? Well, let me be honest with you. Um, during that five years, I was dealing with, uh, you know, a lot of family things from the perspective. Um, I had lost my stepfather, and so I was taking care of his estate. I was doing work for my dad, getting work done on his house. And so actually about the five-year mark, my projects, you know, started drying up. I wasn't renovating a house. I wasn't dealing with an estate. And I was really at the point, I was beginning to think about what would I do next? And then someone I had worked with for many years called me about an opportunity. And it was funny because she said, now I know you're retired. You know, I'm not saying you're going to come out of retirement, but if you think about it, I'd like for you to consider um, to come work with me, right? And so I told her, I said, you know what? You know, let me think about it. You know, you know, mentally, I was still in retirement mode, but I could feel underneath I was beginning to get a little bored. And it just mm. happened, you know, um, I talked to this um, contracting firm. They interviewed me. And I got the offer. And so I've been back to work in a consulting mode for about almost two years. It'll be two years in April. Wow. How long did it take you to make the decision that you will go back? It took me, I would say, from the initial conversation, I would say maybe a week. Because what I thought, one thing about me I didn't want to commit and not be serious about providing excellence. You know, I didn't want to go in half in, half out. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. So I really took that time to think about what I could bring to the table, you know, after five years. I, actually, I thought about at my age, do I still have it? Um, have I lost a step in that five years? But at the end of the day, I said, you know, why not? You know, let me do the interview. Let me understand the position. And if they want me, I'd be willing to work. And if they had said, no, you don't meet the requirements, I would have just stayed in retirement. So to me, it was a win-win on both sides. It, it's okay, because you, it's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned age because I think most people have an age where they want to retire. And you, you would hit that point, but you said, you was getting bored. Did it ever cross your mind and say, you know what? I, I know I don't want to go. I know I don't want to be bored, but 
I really don't want to go back to work just because I feel like I'm starting over. No, it didn't. It, um, it didn't because like I said, once I made up my mind, I knew I could do it, right? You know, one thing about age, you learn a lot about yourself. And when you're younger, we tend to have a lot of self-doubt. And in that moment, I did doubt myself about whether I could bring my A game. Um, but again, once I committed to it, I just thought, you know what? I'm gonna give it my best. I'm gonna bring whatever I have to offer. And that's what I did. Um, you know, it's funny, James, because they often say, well, Miss Cheryl, what is it you don't know? And I said, baby, I don't know a lot, <laughs> but I know what I know. You know, I, I don't know a whole lot, but what I know, I know. <laughs> So that has really worked to my advantage, you know. You know, I, I want to talk about your. Go ahead, James. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. No, you're fine. I wanted to talk about your um, your education. Where, where did you go to college? Actually, I went to University of Maryland College Park. Um, graduated in 1980, and then went to work soon after that. But you know, I grew up in in the Annapolis area. Um, and so Maryland was kind of a, a, I won't say a safe school, but it was a school that I knew my mother could afford. You know, when all else failed, being an in-state student, um, I knew that if I put my mind to it, I could get into Maryland. Okay. And so I went for about, four, I, I did my four years. I got my undergraduate from Maryland. What was your experience like there? Well, it's interesting. Um, I have a lot of regard for Maryland. You know, uh, when I came in, I came in, there was, a, there was some racial tension um, going on. And when I was telling a young, um, I was on the panel today and I was telling young people, if you think about it, I came in, I got admitted to Maryland in 1976. The first African-American was admitted to Maryland in 1955. And I say that to wow. say, if you really think about it, you're only talking 21 years between the time the first African-American was admitted to Maryland and when I came in as a freshman. And so during wow. that time, you know, there was still some um, tension around Blacks being admitted. You know, we had Upward Bound we had programs to recruit more um, black students. And yet the whites were not all um, embracing. I won't say all of them were against us, but we had to create our own community. Thus, you find that blacks who went to Maryland during that time really did become close. You know, We did join sororities and fraternities because that was our way of building our social network. And it was also survival, you know, we would go to class. If you couldn't get there, I'd take the notes. And so really in some aspect, it was also how we survived during that time. And even during was that being time- Was in that environment? Oh, wait, I'm sorry, I'm gonna let you finish, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, if you look in the history book, during that time, it was the Baki case about reverse discrimination that a white student felt like he was being discriminated against because of affirmative action. So it was an interesting hmm. time. Wow. 
when you when you were when you were a little girl because your age group is kind of interesting because you know at first it was always like in the earlier days it was always the men work and then the women stay home mm-hmm. to be housewives and then they started transitioning where women started to work more and build their own careers and do things for themselves so when you were growing up did you envision yourself going to college you know, I did. I really did. Now, to your point, my dad was in the military and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but my parents divorced when I was 13 and it was five of us. And so after we lived in California during that time. And then after they divorced, we moved back to Maryland. And think about it. Here's my mother couldn't have been no more than 27, 28 at the most with five kids, newly divorced. And at that time, to be honest, James, she didn't even have a high school diploma. Um, She and my dad met in high school. Um, You know, they got married. He went in the military. And, and, you know, for those years, her thing was, you know, I'm traveling with my husband and I'm raising my kids. And so by the time she divorced, she was still a young woman. I mean, she was divorced probably about 37, 38, you know, with five kids. And so when my parents divorced, my mother worked two full-time jobs for over 25 years to raise us. Wow. So she would go to work at head company, come home, sleep a few hours, and go to work at, I forget, um, it was a home for children with uh, disabilities. And so really young, I liked school, but in seeing how hard my mother worked, I knew if I wanted to have a good lifestyle, I needed to work and I needed to go to college. And so early on, I knew I was gonna work hard to get into school. Wow. What did you wanna be when you were were young? What did you dream of being? When I was young, to be honest, um, I thought I was gonna be a teacher. I um, started babysitting for money real young. I was about 10 <laughs> when I got my first gig because everybody in the neighborhood said I was old. I was an old soul and I was dependable. So during the summer, I had to babysit two kids who weren't much younger than me. Um, so I thought I was going to be a teacher. And then by the time I started thinking about college, I was going to go into social work. And so when I was in school at Maryland, my um, background, it was family and community studies, which was really kind of an offshoot of um, social work, child development. And so my, that's what my degree is in. Yet I never worked in social work. <laughs> I never got a job in social work. <laughs> I thought, well, wow. The social you know. degree, no social work. No, I, wow. Correct. I tell you what. When I grad, what happened? I graduated and I got an offer for a social work job in New York. Now, think about it, this is nineteen eighty, and they were going to pay me thirteen thousand dollars. Now I'm going to New York, one of the most expensive places in the country, for thirteen thousand. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, now you know. And then the United Way of Central Maryland, which is located in Baltimore offered me a job and I worked for the United Way as a fundraiser for about a year. And, and then um, 
believe it or not, I went to a company called Motorola Communications, still around, to talk them in or to ask him, ask them to do a fun, you know, to do um, a contribution to United Way. And apparently I must have been real convincing because the controller asked, um, offered me a job. <laughs> he said, oh, look, oh. if you ever get tired of working for United Way, I'd love for you to come <laughs> join my team at credit. So I went, became a credit analyst. And that's kind of how my career in business started. So you, <laughs> so you went from fundraising to a career in, in, with Motorola. With Motorola, I guess, and it was funny. The gentleman, his deceased name was Paul Matthias, and you know, he's and I said, "Hi," he said, "You know, you're very convincing. I like your demeanor. I have a job as a credit analyst, and I'm looking for qualified people." Now, of course, I'm sitting up there, James, thinking, "Wait a minute, now, I came here to ask you to do a campaign, but I took the job." And I think it was like a 3,000. So I went from like 13,000 a year to 16,000. You know, I thought I was a ball, you know. Um, well, that's so, a nice jump. Yeah, it was a good jump back then. I, kids now. Yeah, would that's what I said. That's a good nice jump. <laughs> Look, Jay, kids now were saying, what in the world can I do with that? But back then, we thought we were ballers. And so I worked in credit about, I would say I worked in credit about three or four years. And every day when I would be coming up the steps, it was only a two-story two building. I would always speak to this gentleman, right? And I would just say, good morning, how are you? And he would say, good morning. And I never really knew who he was. Well, about, I had been talking, maybe speaking, maybe, maybe a year or so. And he approached me, he said, you know, you always say good morning. I like your disposition. My name is Dennis DeBose. And back then he was like the district sales manager. And he asked me, would I be interested in going into sales? And you know, Motorola is, you know, tech RF, you know, technical equipment. And back then, you know, you mm -hmm. I was the only black woman. And I and I took the challenge. And so I think I've sold for Motorola for about seven years or so, um, handling the DC government, public works healthcare market. But again, all I said was, good morning, how are you? Good morning, how are you? And he stopped me, he said, every morning you speak, and I'd like for you to come and interview for a job on my team in sales. Wow. It's something about you speaking to people. It, 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 just, I, it works. <laughs> it works. I'm, I'm telling you, you never know who's watching you. You know, people, I don't care what he thinks. People are always watching to see who you are. Now, you may not even know they're paying you any attention, but people watch. And they watch over time. And that's how I got that job. And I have to be honest, had a great career. Did that about seven to eight years. There were, there were years I doubled my salary and bonuses all because I would speak to this man having no idea who he was. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Do you ever think about what your life would have been like if you had followed your career path and became a teacher? No, babe. That's kind of the rear view mirror. I, I don't even think about <laughs> it. Look, to be, and, that, and that's, you know what, that's a great question. And I have to honestly say no. No. When I think about you know why, I'm gonna tell you why I actually 
I'm gonna tell you why I asked you because because you you're so engaging and clearly because everybody takes a liking to you and they want to elevate you. So the reason I ask is because who knows who you could have elevated with that career with a career in teaching. That's true. But here's what I try to do. Even now, I try to mentor young people, right? Not in a, you know, I told you, so I'm going to tell you what to do. But in the way to say, you know, if you just set your mind to it, you could be whatever you dream of. And that is such a true statement. Too often, we give up on ourselves before other people do. I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough, right? So the world doesn't need to jump on our backs because truthfully, we're carrying our own weight. And I tell young people that don't talk about what you can't be. Think about what you want to be and then how do we come up with a plan to help you get there? You mentioned being a mentor. How how important is that? Because again, we don't, unfortunately in our community, we don't get to see a lot of examples of, you know, women who's black women who had paved a successful career, had a wonderful family. So how, how important is it to you to be a mentor? You know, I think it's important. I'm going to tell you why, because I can name five women in the course of my life who touched me at different points for me to be who I am. Um, and the sad part, all of them are deceased. But when I think about, you know, it's a powerful question because when I think about how blessed I've been to have them in my life, I said, Lord, why me? You could have picked anybody to have these women in their lives, but I'm honored that you chose them for me. That's my mother, my grandmother, uh, my girlfriend's mother, who I call mom, who's down to seas, my first boyfriend's mother, um, who I love dearly, recently deceased. And then my girlfriend's mom, who I met when I was about 13, who was a, who was a principal, black woman, was a principal back again, back in the 70s, um, who just inspired me to want to know what college was like. And again, like I said, my mother didn't go to college, my grandmother did, but um, Dr. Dolores Chambers, and she's from Annapolis, Maryland, she's deceased was the real one who exposed me to, if you're willing to do the work and get an education, she had a family that was intact. She had a husband that she loved. She had her PhD in education. She mentored young people in the community. She was a member of sorority. So she really exemplified what I was able to evolve into as I became an adult. Wow. And to your point, we don't see we don't see it enough. I think we see it, but as black people, we have to understand you have to give back. You can't be, I made it and you know, I'm I'm driving a big car and I live in a big house, and yet your brother is walking to work trying to figure out how you're gonna eat. That's not what our ancestors mm -hmm. envisioned, and we need to do better than that. So that's wow. what I try to do. That's what I've tried to do along the way in my life is to help young people like myself at one point figure out how to get to the next level. You know? We mentioned at the top, we mentioned at the top um, that besides being a business consultant, you're also a wife and a mother. 
and you, you and your husband, great man, by the way, you managed <laughs> to be married for what, 30, 36 years, correct? Yeah, it'll be 36 this year. You are correct. How, how have you two made it work? Because I'm sure a lot of people want to know. <laughs> you know what, babe? Look, now, can I be frank? I don't know how we done made Please it work. Do. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute, James. Some days, oh, I just love him to peace. Oh, I just love him. And other days, I just look at him. But then the day comes where I just love him to pieces. So, but we made it work because I think we do complement each other. You know, um, my husband is very successful. He's also a man, black man who has, you know, has had a great career, um, still successful, still in corporate America. And I think we've made it work because we accepted each other for who we are. Um, I call my husband, he's a little high strong. And you know, Uncle Greg, he's a little high strong. And I tend to be a little more laid back. And so we just balance each other. You know, wow. um, I don't like to argue. And, and, and I tell people, my parents divorced, and yet we didn't see them argue. So it was kind of like, wait a minute, y'all getting a divorce? You know, you headed to the courthouse. But we didn't, I didn't grow up with a lot of arguing and cursing and drama. Um, and so for me, I don't like yelling. My kids will tell you, I don't like yelling, but when I tell you to do something, I mean. And so, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. And even with my husband, when I get mad, I just get quiet, right? Because what I don't want to do is say something that's so hurtful, we can't re recover from it. And we have to think about wow. that. That person that we're angry with, they're still human, right? Mm. So sometimes- I'm gonna have to keep that in mind. Come on now, because <laughs> you can't pay, you, as soon as those words come out, you say, Lord, I wish I'd have never said it. So think about that. Yeah. Even in your anger, think about, you don't want to do anything to hurt the spirit of the other person, right? And then you got to laugh, why are you mad? Some of that foolishness, you, you're thinking, <laughs> why, why, why am I mad about something so foolish? So you have to get to know who you are and, and you're triggered. Now, my kids will tell you, they'll tell you. They'll have a, you know, I don't believe in all that hollering and screaming, but I'm going to give you a look and a tone that you know I mean business. And that's just who I am. That's just who I am. Yeah, I think you know me well enough to know that's just who I am, you know. I haven't, I haven't uh, been fortunate for me. I haven't seen that side. It's always the smiles and the laughs. So That's my kids I want to keep it that way. I have to tell you a story. My, my daughter will die, but I'm going to tell it anyway. When you talk about how you discipline. My, my husband had a cousin who was killed in the car accident. Very, very young. Young guy um, killed um, in a car with some friends. Friends were driving. He was in the back seat. He lost his life. He, he hadn't even turned 18. So for my wow. husband, that memory has stayed with him all his life, right? Um, just the trauma to the family, what it meant. So my husband has always told my kids, you can't get in the car with anybody who's not an adult, wow. right? That has been his rule. 
that from the time they were born, because that was the trauma to his family. So my daughter was in high school. She was the manager of the football team or something. And some young lady who was one of the other managers, old enough to drive, said, come on, Erica, we're going to run up here to Office Depot to get some poster board to make some um, flyers or something, right? During that time, a storm was coming in. And, you know, Greg is two years younger than Erica. So if Erica was 15, he probably was about 13. He was still in middle school. So I go, I said, come on, Greg, we're going to run up to the school to get Erica, right? Get to the school, no Erica. Now this storm, I mean, like tornado, <laughs> hurricane storm. I'm sitting up there about to pet, where's Erica? What's going on? Greg, you know, Mr. Fenner, he's out of town. Here comes Miss Erica. Oh, she drives up like nothing. You know, oh, mom, we went to the store. So she's telling me the story. You know, me and Caitlin went to the store and we had get poster board. And I said, okay, uh-huh, get in the car, right? So she get in the car, she get home. I said, now, you know, I'm gonna have to tell your father because what is his cardinal rule that you don't get in the car with anybody who's under 18 without permission, right? Oh, mom, I can't believe you're gonna tell that. Oh, I can't, he's gonna make me quit being a manager. She said, so don't tell him. I said, now, Erica, I have to tell your father because you know you broke the rule. Oh, she cried, boo-hoo. She was just devastated. So I said, Luce, I called her Luce. I said, Erica, you know when you got in that car that you were wrong, didn't you? Yeah, mom. I said, but you got in there anyway, didn't you? Yeah, mom. I said, so why shouldn't I tell dad when you knew what you were doing was wrong, because he's going to make me quit. I said, but that's the price you paid for making a bad decision. Sure enough, mm. I told her father, and she had to quit being the manager of the football team the next day. I say that to wow. say, you got to be willing to pay the price for the decisions you make. And ask yourself, wow. is the price or the penalty worth the infraction. Think about that. So I go back to relationships. Make sure that you don't do anything to harm the relationship that you know can never be prepared, repaired. But there's a price for everything you do. Everything you do. You got to be willing to pay the price. Now you mentioned your kids. You, you had two, two uh, excellent kids. Greg, and Erica, uh -huh. and they, they're both gone on to be successful. They have great careers. So seeing their success and, and knowing how you've raised them, what is the feeling you, you and um, Mr. Finner had when you see your kids, you know, they're out, they're doing all these successful things, and you know you had a hand in that, the way you raised them. So how does that make you two feel? I think I feel vindicated as a parent, right? that the decisions we made for them were the right decision. Now, they didn't always agree with them because you know, I didn't allow them to go and just spend the night over anybody's house. I'm very proud of them. But what I'm most proud of, you know, not just their education, their jobs, who they are as people, right? That they have a caring heart. Um, they empathize with other folks and other people. And they're very generous. They are really very generous young people. And I say that Erica's very involved in the church. They're involved with mentoring young people. 
As you know, my son is a, a coach sports uh, fanatic, but he's always pouring in the young men to do better. And so out of all their accomplishments, I'm just really proud of the people and the, the humanistic side of who they are. I know I know you and I know Mr. Fenner and you 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 two move like you didn't live in PG County you lived in a predominantly I would say a predominantly white area but I know how cultured you two are so was it a hard decision to move into an area like that well you know we lived in um when we first got married we lived in Laurel and so the kids went to schools in Howard County um you know, my family's from Annapolis. And so the reason um, we ended up moving to Virginia is I had uh, taken a job at Fannie Mae and I had been moved to the, I had been in DC, but I had been moved to the Virginia office and Greg was traveling a lot. And so I was trying to finagle being the mother, you know, two kids in elementary school, trying to get to Herndon um, to get to work, be successful. And I'll never forget this, James, and it's a true story. Greg was out of town. I was in Herndon, Virginia, on the Beltway on my way home, and it started snowing. And you know, if you get two mm. flakes of snow, it's like a blizzard. And <laughs> the, the, the babysitter said, you know, her, you had to have your kids picked up, I think it was about 5 or 5.30. And so I called, and I said, Teresa, it's snowing out here. I'm on the Beltway, but I'm trying to get home. And she was like a fundamentalist Christian. She said, well, you know, I close at 5.30, say 5.30. I said, yeah, but I won't be there by 5.30. She said, well, I have the keys to the house. I'll just let the kids in the house. And again, I think my children maybe was eight and 10, I don't know. And when I got home, I said, no way in the world I can work like this all the way in Virginia and my babies be in Maryland and something happened and I can't get to them. Uh, and um, so that was probably the that was probably the catalyst to say, okay, if I'm gonna be working in Maryland, Greg, or you you need to just be near an airport because we normally fly out of Reagan, Dulles. And he said, look, all I need is access to an airport. I can live anywhere. And so Greg's brother, um, Greg's sister, and her husband, um, Daryl and Jewel, had already moved out here. His other brother, his her, his wife moved here. And, and then I decided, you know what? I need this good paying job. So I'm gonna find us a house in Virginia. And that's how we ended up in Ashburn. So the demographics think, didn't concern you? No, it didn't. It didn't, well, it didn't concern me because, you know, even growing up um, in Anne Arundel County, you know, we went to Arundel Senior High we were accustomed to being around white people. So that wasn't like, you know, we the only black folks in the, in the sea of whiteness. No, we <laughs> kind of grew up in that culture. So it really didn't, it, it didn't really concern me. One, because these kids got some real black parents, right? And parenting starts at home about who you are and how you see yourself. And so right. we knew our blackness and we knew our blackness we would carry into how we raise our children. So no, that really didn't bother okay. us. Mm -mm. You know, they, they, we still wanted, went to black I churches. Wanted, Go ahead. 
Oh, wait, wait, because you was, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. You were talking about no, the black No, no, I church. said we still went to a black church. We still had black grandparents and cousins. So no, that didn't, it, that was not <laughs> traumatic. I, let me say that. Okay. I, I have to bring up a, a personal conversation that me and you had while we were talking about, you know, when we were setting up the podcast. Uh-huh. And you told me something that stuck with me, that, that really stuck with me. You told me when you went, one of the key things for you and your husband making it was you both couldn't be superstars at the same time. And I wanted you to elaborate more on that. But yeah, you have a phenomenal memory. And and my thought behind that, you know, when Greg and I got married, um, I actually, at that time when we got married, my job was, I was making more money than Greg, right? Uh, But my husband is committed to his family. He grinds. And so in short order, he was making more than me. But the realization was we couldn't both be on the fast track and raise our kids and keep things in place. And so for me, it was a conscious decision to continue to work, continue to do a good job. But I knew I had to be home with my kids because he, you know, Greg was traveling, I would say 60, 70, 80% of the time on the plane, he was in sales. You know, he had the territories on the the East Coast and you just couldn't do it. Somebody had to keep an eye on what was going on at home. And what resonated with me, I have girlfriends who are very, very successful, moved up in a corporate ladder, but there's a price you pay on the personal side. You know what I mean? And it wasn't Mm -hmm. that important for both of us to be superstars and for to... Not to the cost of being my children and having their parents and us being at the PTA and being involved. So knowing how much he had to travel, I was the one who took the lead in keeping the house together. You know, being there for the kids, doing the concerts. Now he was a hands-on dad when he could, but the job required him to be away to be traveling. And for two years, he lived in Pennsylvania while we lived here in Virginia. Wow. Because that's what the job required. You know, sometimes you got to just be willing to sacrifice. Somebody has to be willing to say, I'm okay with your success. You go do you, boo. Whatever success you can bring in, and I'll keep keep the train on the track. Not that you stop grinding. You just understand for that season, here's the role you have to play to keep the family whole. Wow. I, I, and I'm, I remember that because it was one of the most important statements that I've ever heard. And I wanted to make sure anybody listening to this podcast got a chance to hear that. Okay. You know, James, you know, love go, go is ahead, a- I'm sorry. Love is a interesting thing, right? And as much as we talk about it, we don't really understand it. Love is complex. And I say it's complex because you and I can be in love today. I can be mad at you tomorrow, but that shouldn't negate the love I have for you. And I think in this fairy tale world we live in, people don't understand even in marriages, where you have a lot of love does not mean you're not going to hit a valley at some point. Does not mean you're not going to try to think, how do I get through this? 
So I think we don't talk enough about the reality of love is, what is, it? you know, mm. um, and it's not a fairy tale. <laughs> it's definitely uh, not. It's not. <laughs> you know, you see the little prince with the prince and all that. It ain't big. Look, you might get a prince, but you might get some frogs along the way. You know. <laughs> I'm telling you, he might get a queen eventually, but he might get some toads along the way. So I'm just saying, we need to be real about what is love. How, you know, what do you need? How does someone show you love, which may be different than what someone else needs to see to feel love? And I don't think we talk about it enough. Mm. Wow. Mm you 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 want i'm sure well i don't know because i mean you you have so much to offer um do you think about retirement yet or is this still out far away <laughs> lord no wait a minute lord um <laughs> <laughs> look, look i think about it and then payday come then i said well you know lord maybe I ain't as tight as i think <laughs> you know, i'm just being honest now i'm just keeping it real you know but um uh, i'm really having a wonderful time doing the job i'm doing i really enjoy it i'm around um young um african-americans who i'm helping to coach mentor I, I'm just having the time of my life. And as hard as I work, it is the most enjoyable work because of the young people I work with. Mm. So no, I'm not going to retire, you know, maybe a couple of years. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I want to, I really, I really, really thank you for doing this because you know, it's I know it's kind of late on the East Coast, but you took the time to do this and I'm I'm forever grateful for you doing this. Now look, look this is my first time ever doing a podcast, right? And truthfully, yeah. I've never heard, I've never listened to one. So you didn't listen to the this, one with me and Greg. No, I did not. I oh, have not heard God. all my son said, Mom. It was great. You know, that's my man. I love James. But no, I I never I didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like I'm gonna make sure you get to hear it. Send it to me. Cause I'm like, I've never done a podcast. What do you talk about on a podcast? What you know, but I appreciate it because this is a first and new experience. And I'm loving it. So if you well, ever need I hope me you to come back. Because you have a lot to offer. So I hope you well, do thank more. you, Dean. I would love to do more. <laughs> I'm like, okay, James, come on now. Give me a topic and we'll talk about it, you know. James, well, look, you can't tell me that because I'm always recording. I'm a, oh, sure, go ahead. Have, have you done a podcast around um, young people, particularly young people of color, um, um, being uncomfortable with the, the vaccine. Have you guys Not talked yet. about that? Okay. That's something I need to talk about, huh? And I tell you why, because I'm talking to young people. I'm not going to get it. 
I don't believe it. And I'm trying, I want to understand why, right? And so I was just curious um, because I've been trying to get the vaccine uh, because of the weather, I've been postponed. And yet I'm understanding a lot of young people who are in education are, are not going to get it. And so I was just curious to understand, you know, from younger people, why, um, what are the concerns? Hmm. I tell so you what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on that. Okay. I'm going to work just on that. Curious. Just because you propose it, I'm going to work on it. <laughs> I, age group, because I need to know. What age group? I, here, I'm saying, too, I'm saying your age group. My son is in your age group, right, as you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing right. young, you know, young 30s, you know, like, I'm not going to get it. Remember the Tuskegee? And I don't think they've done the testing. And I, which are not true statements. But before I make a judgment, I just want to understand the rationale. Right? Okay. The, yeah, so. And then I have a friend who's a physician, Black female, whom, if you ever want to do one, has been on the panels for the vaccines um, and really the health disparity, disparity in Black communities around COVID. Uh, and so she would be an interesting person if you ever you know, wanted a physician, one who comes from the inner city, you know, been to med school, understand our people, to kind of talk about what she's hearing, the testing they've done as it pertains to people of color. Well, we listen, when I I'm get, we going once I end it, please pass me your information and I'll I'll make sure to reach out to her. All right. She's a phenomenal sister. All right. So Again, I really, really appreciate you doing this. And I I want to congratulate you on everything. You know, I know you, I know Mr. Finner. You, oh. you know, you you raised a beautiful family. I love seeing you two together. I, I love your whole family. And I just I always I'm full of joy every time y'all come around. So again, <laughs> thank you for this. I truly appreciate it. You know what? I wish you all the success. Cause you know. You're an awesome young man. And that's what Mr. Fenn. And you know Greg loves you to pieces. So keep doing what you're doing. You know, <laughs> keep rising to the occasion. Set your sights high and don't let anybody get in your way. Thank you. And that's I all I have it. to say. I really do. do you, baby. Do you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I want to take this to time you. to thank everyone. I want to take this time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. And I'm also on Facebook conversations with lamp. And you can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple podcast. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.